You are listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that rigorously examines the Sopranos through deep dives, streams of consciousness, conversation, interviews, trivia, and NBA analogies. I got a lot of those for you today. Today, we are discussing episode six of season five, Sentimental Education, a novel of all things by none other than Gustave Flaubert, a key figure in this episode. Sidebar, Woody Allen's 1979 film Manhattan is an adaptation of this story. Today, I'm joined by a Zoom by my dear friend, John. John, it's great to be back with you. It's great to be here, coming in live from the North Caldwell kitchen. Love it. On our Zoom call. And I'm coming at you live from underneath the Gothel's Bridge. At least I hope it's the Gothel's Bridge. Someone's going to tell me if it's not. I wish this episode was happening under better circumstances. I wish we could be in person, obviously. Locally and globally, things are pretty crazy right now. How are you holding up? I'm doing well. Just uh, trying to stay distracted with uh, keeping up with cleaning around the house, organizing, uh, watching a lot of uh, Netflix episodes, and my Fortnite has been improving too. Your what's been improving? My Fortnite game. Oh, nice. What uh, what have you been watching? Like, what's what are the one or two things that you've been really into? Uh, the uh, the new um, FX on Hulu. A show called Devs. Yeah. Really good. Uh, Dave on FX on Hulu has been really good. Uh, I just watched a, a Spanish horror sci-fi film on Netflix last night called The Platform. Uh, sort of this dystopian uh, sci-fi thriller that uh, is very appropriate for the times. And I've caught up on all the good ones like Contagion, Outbreak, uh, World War Z. I'm fully prepared for the apocalypse now. Yeah, I think more or less all of us are. What's been the biggest challenge for you so far? Um, not being overwhelmed by the uh, the consuming media. You want to stay informed, but also uh, if you spend 24 hours a day listening to all of that, it's uh, easy to get pretty glib and uh, paranoid about stepping out of your, your house. Um, but for the most part, I think it's important everyone's staying at home. Um, it seems like the smart people are only getting out when they really need to. And, um, being in California, we're obviously seeing sort of a different experience than different parts of the country, but, uh, it's, it's serious. Well, hang in there. Thanks for doing this. I hope, uh, I hope this can be fun for you and I, and I hope it can be fun for the listeners. A little bit of escapism, um, yeah. sentimental escapism, if you will. Let's jump into the episode and do this. HBO synopsis with her son's future at stake. Carmela puts in some extra time with his college advisor, Robert Wegler. Meanwhile, Tony Blendetto realizes it's hard doing business with strangers. And AJ concludes there's no place like home. I think a lot of us right now, John, are thinking there's a lot of places (laughs) <laughs> besides, <laughs> besides home right now um, this episode was written by the great and wonderful Matthew Weiner and it was directed by the equally great and wonderful Peter Bogdanovich it originally aired on April 11th 2004 
Right up front, it's worth noting that this episode has very little to do with Tony directly, but rather is a kind of Blendetto Carmela compare and contrast about how they're attempting to get out from underneath his thumb. We don't see him that much, John, but he's looming large as he still does to this day. The episode starts with Tony B working for Kim, but it ends very differently. Nice contrast out of the gate. The door opens to a beautiful day, shitty job collecting dirties, but a beautiful day nonetheless. John, what's the worst job you've ever had? Mm, Probably managing a collection agency. Managing a collection agency. Yeah, I was really good at it. My nickname was the Tin Man, but uh, certainly not uh, something that you enjoyed talking about at cocktail parties. Was said collection agency connected, if you know what I mean? Oh, it it may have very well been. Uh, (laughs) We got investigated many a times, and uh, it was a scrupulous one that uh, preyed on payday loan people. So Uh, people that are already hard up on their luck, and uh, I would call from an, an attorney's office and my name was Evan Stone and I had a very important legal document that needed to be signed and paid quickly. Uh, and it was horrible. I was preying on people's grandmothers on Christmas Eve. It was, it was a short lived job, but uh, it made me a better salesperson. Well, every job is a learning experience, right? That's what they say. It certainly is. It was like robustics. Definitely. Oh, I was going to say, were, did any of the clients happen to be a certain sanitation company by any chance? <laughs> I, I can't say anymore. They could be listening. Tony B's at 4752 Mountain Way, Rutherford, New Jersey. Uh, of course, looked it up. Not a real address, but an interesting message, John. Mountain. Perhaps the mountain Tony B is going to have to climb this episode. As he begins to load, his truck takes off. Somebody jacks it. And the song, the breakup song by Greg Kinn, a band out of Baltimore. This was their most famous song. And John, I thought this was really cool. The lyric, they don't write them like that anymore. They Mm -hmm. just don't write them like that anymore. Is exactly what I think about everything since The Sopranos. Absolutely. It's definitely a big wink. John, has your car ever been stolen? No, thankfully not. He falls, Tony B, that is, falls and badly scrapes his knee and lower leg. The foley on that sound effect was piercing. Check your ear for blood every time. And the special effects on that leg, too. Some good makeup. Or maybe it was method. Maybe he actually fell. You know what? It's uh, Steve Buscemi, so anything's possible. Yeah. Cut to... Tony B. limping up to punch out. I don't forget you professional criminal. Let me ask you something. He pulls open 
a drawer to expose a gun, which is particularly hilarious. If it were a Western, it might be akin to a guy flashing what's behind the inside of his vest almost. The contrast between immigrant small business owners and ex-cons was also interesting. The commonality in the prejudice in that only certain jobs or ways to make ends meet are available to them. Whole sections and swaths of the economy are completely cordoned off and the fact that we're left with a Korean immigrant laundry shop owner and an ex-mob, ex-con, is a fascinating visual every time you watch it. He'd never have hired Tony B, he says, if he didn't need Tony Soprano for the unions. Also fascinating, given that Kim was so savvy enough to link up with Tony to control his workforce. But part of me always wondered, was it voluntary? You think Tony got to him first? Or did Kim set this up like a boss, like the boss that he is? Mm, That's a good question. Uh, I think Tony's got his his territory and probably through some other tertiary story we didn't hear about, they linked up and saw this as an opportunity to have a place where he can have his crew work uh, legitimately or probably even uh, launder money through. I like what you said, actually. That makes sense, more sense to me now that Tony needs a place to park people. What a better place to launder money than a laundromat. Yes. Breaking Bad over here. Well, that was a car wash, but car washes and laundromats. I think Saul was a proponent of laundromats, right? Well, the, yeah, the, the big uh, lab that they had underground was underneath a laundromat because there you they go. could get away with the chemical purchases and the... Um, ventilation systems i never hire you if i don't need tony soprano for union not for him i show you the fucking window did you catch autopsy's great insight about this being kim's malaprop that what he meant to say maybe was i'll show you the door uh, i love uh, the malaprop's uh supersede race and religion and (laughs) sex in this show. Nobody is immune. Nobody is immune from Malaprop. Cut to Tony and AJ. They're having breakfast. What have you been eating for breakfast during quarantine, John? Um, I'm on a healthier regimen of uh, avocado toast. I've been doing that. Uh, I broke out the spam and educated uh, Elizabeth on uh, apocalypse meat. What's to educate, man? Uh, I don't it's think not people a believe uh, that meat should be in a can, but it can, and it's delicious. Well, they're eating raisin bran. The family size raisin bran was empty. That was a subtle but nice touch. Tony offers his remains, and we learn that there's no juice either. John, I don't know about you, but I have been drinking extra orange juice with extra pulp lately in a mythical quest to boost my immunity from whatever has taken over our planet. How do you feel about orange juice right now? And have you been doing the same? I've been drinking orange juice as well with extra tequila to help combat the COVID-19. Tequila sunrises and Baileys and coffee for the first week. Um, But I'll probably have to go back to reality after this. Have you been day drinking, John? 
<laughs> yes. Yes, I have. Sounds like a good idea. If I didn't have kids and I and if I wasn't forced to be their primary educator right now too, on top of everything else, I probably would day drink myself. They exchange barbs. Tony grabs him by the neck and picks a fight. I always saw this as Tony testing. He wants to see what his kid is made of. And good timing too, right? Because Christopher, as we've seen, has turned out to be a bit of a lame duck. John, do you ever see a world where AJ joins up with Tony? The nightmare scenario Carmella later considers with Wegler. Yeah, I, I think it's possible. And without spoiling anything ahead, um, that idea becomes a little bit more possible as we progress towards the end of the series. You know, AJ's looking for direction. He's not a not the smartest kid, not the sharpest knife in the drawer. But, but uh, I think in the back of his head, uh, Tony's in his own way trying to figure out a path for AJ, whether it be uh, his path or Meadows' path. AJ shows impulse control by going back to his breakfast. Then Tony grabs his bowl and throws the contents down the drain, right? He's bullying his own son, and he's satisfied. There's a role reversal happening, right? Like, AJ looks like the adult here and Tony the kid. John, if you were AJ, who would you rather be quarantined up with? Tony or Carm? Oh, Tony, for sure. Uh, at that age, you want uh, the longest leash possible, and uh, AJ just needs to learn a few fucking manners and maybe uh, give a list to the grocery store lady, and he'd be fine and be able to hang out with his boys late at night. I'd ride with Carm, man. Home-cooked food, that ziti, clean house, laundry. Yeah. Cut to Carm getting ready for something. Is it a date? perhaps. The background song is, I've searched everywhere just to find someone. That's a song called The Angels, and it's by the Crests. Then we see Carm in her wonderful outfit. She's there to see Wegler. He's called her in because of AJ's midterm report from Fisk, the English teacher. What was your English teacher's name, by the way? Uh, shout out to Mr. Tracy. There's also talk of suspiciously cogent writing on AJ's part. He's accused of cheating, which comes full circle in a moment. John, I think you've said this before on the podcast or privately. Have you ever bought a paper and pulled an AJ? No, no, the opposite. I sold a, a semester's worth of speeches in a speech class to a, a gentleman. So you're a profiteer of this racket. I, was, I excelled in public speaking, so I thought I'd challenge myself with twice the amount of work. Carm has a great line. He spent almost an entire Saturday afternoon at the library, to which I always think takes a little more than that. Almost is the operative word in that line that makes it hilarious. He almost spent... So he didn't spend an entire afternoon. He Almost spent part of an afternoon. That's the bar. That's the bar that AJ has, which is it's just too funny. She suggests there's some kind of discrimination or bias going on. Again, something that comes back in a moment. Next, she says Mr. Fisk is a 
cold fish. Godfathery, John. She asks for Wegler. <laughs> she asks for Wegler. Okay. She asks for Wegler to lean on Fisk. This is 2.0 for Carm. Remember when she did something similar for Meadow with Kuzumano's sister-in-law, the lawyer? This is the second time we've seen her leaning on somebody for her kid's academic end, right? Yeah. Symmetry. Wegg says if AJ crushes his paper on Lord of the Rings, he's in the clear. Then Weggs gets up, John, sits on the desk, leans in for a bird's eye view. A lot of balls. A lot of balls. She's all about it, but she fears for Wegg's life. I always thought he kind of took it in stride. Did that surprise you? I think he was playing it cool. Um, my uh, deep dive is that he also plays a, a CIA operative in the barn ultimatum around the same time. So ah. maybe he's not just uh, that guy. Maybe he's somebody else. So Wegler was in the Born Ultimatum around the same time as this movie? Yeah, I think he's a CIA operative and isn't scared by Tony Soprano. Interesting. Art imitating life over here. Okay. Cut to a dinner. <laughs> Tony B's house. He's studying. We meet Gwen, not Gwen Stefani, a woman he met on the internet in the can. How do those relationships fare statistically, I wonder? He posted an ad. Remember those, John? Remember ads? Chris gets philosophical. Other people's definitions of you, sometimes they're more about making themselves feel better. You got to define yourself. Keep your eye on the tiger, man. John, Tony Robbins over here. <laughs> Can't help myself. I'm sorry. You got to laugh, man. You got to laugh at what's going on right now. So I'm just going to laugh a little extra. You got to define yourself, he says. A lot of people doing a lot of defining these days, huh, John? Definitely. And finally... Keep your eye on the tiger, man. Can't help but read that as a malaprop of Eye of the Tiger. Given that he was a budding screenwriter, this was perfect. I got another one for you, John. <laughs> Apollo Moltisanti over here. Oh. <laughs> I've been waiting all day. I added that one today, and I've been waiting to say that. So I got it done with one take. Well, and it's it's your favorite movie, too. So it's a good... Yeah. yeah. Too much fun. Too much fun. Okay. <sighs> Cut to Father Phil. Kicking ass and taking names. Feels like he's in the middle of a fundraising strategy with Carm. Securing funds for the diaper drive. Check. Then Father Phil turns his attention to feed the hungry. Arguably, namely himself. Carm invited him to dinner, and it's immediately clear why. She's got to tell him about Mr. Wegler to clear her conscience. She tells him that she thought he was gay, and that that reminded her of Father Intentola. And Phil's stoic face... By the way, his reactions this whole entire episode were on another level. No words, just face. She says he's an intellectual. That makes him smile. He says they should bring tea into the conversation as well. 
Carm thinks he's coming off as hostile. What the fuck does T have to do with any of this? I'm not. Perhaps that's your sin talking. This is none of Tony's business. Then she goes on to say, why am I the only one held to any kind of a standard? Send the papal nuncio to Tony, which basically refers to an official delegate of the Pope. She continues, didn't God put the need there? I don't know if you have anything on this, but I tried to find a cogent thought. I'm using that word on purpose. Mm. But the internet took me to some crazy places. If you Google biblical or like religious meanings or interpretations of the Bible, the hits you get are crazy. (laughs) And I quickly, I was like, after page three of the Google search, I was like, I'm done with this. Do you know anything about what she's talking about? Off the top of your head, or were you able to find anything? The papal nuncio? No, God putting the need in us, and that makes it okay? Somehow, like, the sin... No, I don't have any, uh, like, Bible verses to quote from, but but generally we're all just under that thought we're supposed to be all sinners, and that it's just our nature. But like any good Catholic, uh, I think Carmela's always looking for a loophole to uh, explain her behavior. And she has gotten a lot more progressive in the years. She asked a tough question and Father Phil has no cogent answer either. So he awkwardly calls for Pepper. Why do you think Father Phil is almost protective of Tony, John? He's taking a side and he's a priest. Any thoughts on why? Uh, I don't know if he's taking sides. I think he's taking sides in the sanctity of marriage that he holds to. Um, If we go back to college, the uh, season one episode where they have sort of this spiritually thirsty tryst over the course of the night, uh, he's even then still coaching her to, you know, get past all the misgivings of Tony and, and to try to figure out a way to save their marriage. Um, I, I think he's, He's just not as close with her now as he was because of the way that she was with him. Um, but this is, it, he kind of is just reading the playbook of a typical priest, in my opinion, uh, with a little bit of disdain and, and personal vendetta against Carmela. But there was a lot of undertones in the conversation. He, he was saying a lot of things by not saying anything to her about what she wanted to hear. You don't think he's a little jealous of the other guy? Uh, I think he's like Carmela had it on the nose. I, I don't think he ever had intentions to sleep with her or any of his parishioners. I think he, he lives off of just that flirtation and that intimacy that, that he has with some of these women. I don't think he'd actually take it any further than that because then it would go against all of his own of his beliefs and uh, obligations. Cut to Tony B making new flashcards. Endomorph is on one of the flashcards, and that relates to a certain body type. Big boned, stores fat easily. Coincidence, John? (laughs) Speaking of 98 flashcards. Kim refers to him as you. Kim says he thinks his cousin in Northside not the north side, but in north side, is behind the truck hijack. Kim's cousins. 
There's a spinoff, John. Yeah. He's inquiring about what Tony B wants to do next. Something about a small sauna. Tony B sees the vision. Says he'll pipe in a little Keith Jarrett, the jazz and classical pianist, who, by the way, played on several Miles Davis albums. Fun fact about Keith Jarrett. He lives in Oxford Township, New Jersey. Kim shares his story. Guy gets nostalgic over here. Came from Korea with shoes and his uncle's address. Worse than prison, he says. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, By the way, we haven't given a shout out to the line, why you puck me like this? Why you puck me like this is one of the (laughs) all-time... It's one of the all-time lines. Oh, by the way, speaking of prison, I forgot. I just, you were talking about stuff that you watched. I just rewatched Shawshank Redemption. Mm. You've seen that, right? Good one. Holds up, man. It's one of the highest rated movies on IMDb. Holds up so well. I watched the whole thing, like, and I, it felt like when it was over, it felt like 15 minutes had passed. It's like a Michael Jordan playoff game. You can watch it anytime. It only took uh, 30 minutes, Nick. <laughs> anyway. From Kim's own personal Shawshank, now he's Jasu Sunga, the boss. He's even wearing shirts like one, John. Asian Alan Stewart over here. (laughs) Kim offers to stake him the money for the storefront. Always reminds me of that old Hemingway saying, John. I don't know if you've heard it. The best way to know if you can trust somebody is to trust them. He tells Tony B that he has a travel agency in West Caldwell. Shit business. (laughs) Three-year lease. John, if they were shit businesses then, imagine the state of travel agencies now. How long is it going to take you personally to feel good about flying again after this? Oh, I'm going to Vegas as soon as they uh, lift the ban, for sure. This is a post-9-11 line, right? This show, this episode, is still they're still living in a post-9-11 world? Yes, it was 2004. Yes. Uh, and it, the recovery took about seven or eight years after 9-11 when you look at it from an economist's point of view. So that line is especially powerful today as we record this in the time of COVID. Kim's daughter, we learn, is interested in massage. This is interesting. Physical therapy was too depressing. Crippled people, he says. I thought that was a true and fascinating insight. But also layered. Within that, there's a fact that she probably didn't have the makings of a varsity physical therapist grades-wise. That's an observation I attribute to what autopsy said about her, the way that the father described what rank she was in her class. It was very subtle, very nice catch. Yeah, what was the, the two-thirds? Is the nice way of saying the bottom half? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's wonderful. You know what? If I had a kid who was dumb, 
that's what I would say too. It's like you want to try to elevate them as much as you can, and it was it was a nice it was a nice stylistic way to to slip that in. Because if you're not listening for it, you just assume she was a good student, right? Yeah. Anyways, they make a deal on a handshake. Ernest Hemingway strokes his chin from the grave. Cut to Tony sitting down with AJ and Carm. AJ wants to move back home. Carm plays hard to get. She resists the initial urge to grab and hug her son, of course. And the cuts to each one of them, the whole sequence of it, coupled with silence, is a great crescendo. That was some great co-parenting there. Good cop, bad cop parenting. Absolutely. She establishes some non-negotiable ground rules. Grades, respect, involving her in his life a little. She was every single parent right there. Then, Tony and Carm have a moment in the kitchen. He tries to take some credit for whipping AJ into shape a little. And I love how he's so apprehensive. He truly is afraid of Carmela, her power, right? Without saying a word, just doing, working, prepping for dinner. He might look at... Okay, I gotta, gotta get ready for this one. Be setting it See, I, my eye doesn't catch it. Like, I didn't know it was coming, and now that I saw that it was coming... Another reason why you can't do video, okay? <laughs> he might look it, but John, he ain't no mountain high enough for her. Cue the music. <laughs> That joke just slowed down my internet connection. (laughs) Oh my God. This ridiculous podcast is breaking the internet. And you know what sucks, John? As I'm a premium Zoom subscriber, I'm paying them all this money and they can't even give us the bandwidth we need, man. Hold on. Let me make sure it's not my internet. Yeah. One thing that might help is if you turn off your browser. If you quit out of your browser, I've been told. That helps if you have a browser open. It won't close Zoom at the same time? No, I guess not. No. Are you are you using Zoom on your browser and yeah. not the app? Okay, you're fine. This is fine. Okay. Cut to Vito quizzing Tony B. Christopher. Oh, fucking study hall again. Polly inquires about his Tupperware. I know the feeling, Polly. John. The time that we're in is a perfect episode to spend a little extra time with Polly. Would Polly order delivery during the pandemic? No, no. Polly actually uh, is years ahead of us. I uh, received an article sent to me yesterday talking about the dangers of uh, bacteria and COVID 19 uh, staying in your shoes. So, what was it, 2002? Polly was talking about. Bacteria and viruses migrating from the sole up. Changing the color of your shoe. Yeah. Chris again. (laughs) Fucking Siddhartha over here now. Fear knocked at the door. Faith answered. There was no one there. Basically means if we have faith, we have no need to fear, right? I don't know what's going on with Chris, but it's safe to say he 
manuged to get the drip on some quotations book somewhere, maybe from his rehab center. Chris is astonished that Tony B can find the time to do what he's doing. He says to call their guy Jimmy Curran if his parole officer is breathing down his neck. He's a supervisor. We've heard this name before, John. He's the guy that took care of Feech at the end, remember? Everything kind of comes back. Peter Bogdanovich is really kind of going back here. Obviously, he didn't write the episode, but this episode is filled with a bunch of Easter eggs from episodes past, and it's kind of cool to see that, especially if you've been paying all this attention. Yeah, we definitely know now how Feech got set up. Yeah. Absolutely. It was an inside job, man. Tony explains, Tony B explains his venture to them. Paulie says, if he's looking for money, why not just come talk to me? John, out of all the guys, who would you feel most comfortable taking money from if you were Tony B? What are the, the choices? The choices of the guys and the crew, man. Oh, not, That's your ch- not any one of them. But if you're Tony B... And you've got to take from one of them, who's the guy you're going to go to? Uh, I mean, if you're going to get uh, shaken down, you got to go to the top because everyone else is going to pay up to the top. So you'd go to the boss. That way there's no middleman shaking you. I agree. Yeah, I like that. I agree. I would go to Tony too. And plus you could flex that personal relationship a little bit maybe. And uh, I guess if, you know, for self-interest, you want Tony to be involved in it so that there's, if there is an issue, it's you're fucking with the boss's money too. Good point. Tony B continues his self-owned business shit is like a religion to these people. I always, whenever I hear that, I always say out to myself, there's a reason and it largely has to do with options, right? When they immigrate here, there's not a lot of jobs that are waiting for them. So it's no wonder that they take on these small businesses and in these communities and they kind of create their own little villages around it. It is kind of a wonderful, beautiful ecosystem without getting into politics. But when you think about immigration and immigrants and these little pockets we have in all these major cities and centers around the world, it largely does function because of these entrepreneurial immigrants that say, you know what, you're not going to give me a job, uh, so I'm going to make my own. I'm going to create my own. And it is a beautiful thing. The American um, dream. And I love that I love that the Sopranos sort of diagrammed that for us when they didn't really have to. Well, I mean, they even go back and say that that's what the Italians had to do. Yeah, hundred percent. Every immigrant population, more or less, when you come here, you're not really wanted, right? So you got to get in where you fit in. Tony B continues and says that Kim sees something in him. It's a beautiful moment, John. Cut to Chris's face, which says. I wish someone saw something in me. Profound Tony B enters the fray. In some ways, he says, the whole prison thing is not that different from being an immigrant. And this is interesting, right? Because he starts off on one side with Kim. And as we'll see, he ends up on a completely different side, which I want to ask you about when we get there. John. Everybody is talking all enlightened this episode. And then we get Polly. Word to the wise. Remember Pearl Harbor. This is stratospheric comedy. Wrong race, irrelevant, and out of context. But consistently Polly. But consistently Polly. Cut to Wegler and Carm getting into his car. Last ones, 
in the restaurant. John, you ever shut a place down? Uh, quite frequently, yes. I like to, quite frequently. Uh, ah. Up until recent times, but uh, yeah, I like Mister Engaged like to support, over here. Uh, my local businesses. Awkward car scene. She seems like she's doing this for her kid, right? Obviously, we know what's coming, but there's no way she would be in the car with this guy if there wasn't an agenda, right? Uh, I think it's a little bit of a dinner and dessert. I mean, she's got to be attracted to the guy. She's there's, It's not solely just for AJ. Like, she's not uh, Sally Field and Forrest Gump banging the uh, admissions guy to get Forrest into a, a better school. It's, it's more of a cake and eat it, too. Whenever possible, we got to incorporate Tom Hanks, right? Yeah. By the way, well. if it wasn't for him, I don't think we would be flattening the curve. I don't think he gets enough credit for announcing when he did and doing what he did. Agreed? Uh, it's it's a strange world that we live in when like someone like him gets sick, it, it humanizes everybody and makes people more concerned all of a sudden. It's it's sad but necessary for uh I think celebrities to show that you know we're not invincible. So Carmela in the car. <laughs> you know what's coming. I need a second. <laughs> she got out of Wegler's way. Like an opposing player does when LeBron is coming through the lane. I like that. Uh, <laughs> I like that you're like a guy who would never be able to do stand up because you start laughing at your own jokes before the punchline. This is so good. This is there's a reason why I do podcasts <laughs> only a thousand percent, man. Look, it's hard enough to write the thing, and then it's really hard to have the confidence to even say the goddamn thing. But if you laugh at your own jokes, it kind of defeats the whole purpose, right? So, dimes, dimes, dimes. Okay. Modern Library's first edition, he says. Modern Library, he's referencing, is a book publishing imprint. They're not defunct. I looked them up. They still exist. I think they're under one of the bigger umbrellas now. He says she looks beautiful in this light, John. And did this remind you of what I'm about to say? It's kind of a throwback to Tony and Svetlana. Only this guy didn't drop the Greto Garbo exclamation point. Hmm. No, I never thought about that. Do you see the parallel, though? Yeah, and Carmela's got two legs. Oh! They get busy, and part of her intensity, this is what I think this is all about, really, actually. Tell me if you think I'm wrong. Part of her intensity is pent up from Furio. She's doubling down, almost. The camera makes a point to linger on the cross around her neck. She stares at him while he sleeps, and you see a camera pan from a candle to her. Another religious reminder, perhaps. Somebody better light a candle for Carmela, right? Then, John, she turns around and looks up at the heavens. A third religious reference. In the bathroom, she stumbles across the book, The Letters of Abelard and Heloise, which Wegler tells us is a classic story. 
12th century scholar, falls in love with an underage student, gets her pregnant. Her uncle, a church figurehead, has him castrated. He becomes a monk, she becomes a nun, but their love, John, burns on through these letters. John, couldn't this have been Furio and Carmela? They could have been pen pals. A modern-day Abelard and Heloise. What happened? Make for a good uh, Netflix special, for sure. Not coincidentally, notice, not coincidentally, she lands on a page in the book that reads, My Inseparable Companion. Again, can't help but think of Furio. And John? <laughs> She's got a B on her art. Oh, man. That was a good one. Like her relationship with Furio, the timing of the toilet flush is layered and loaded. This relationship is DTD, down the drain. Then she smiles at herself in the mirror. Why did she smile at herself? Uh, I think she's, she's crossed that barrier that she thought she couldn't before. Uh, ah. You know, she's, it's empowering, I suppose. She's taking control of, or what she thinks is taking control of her life. And one of the major arching themes that you touched on in the beginning is that uh, this is a big monumental step away from Tony. The act alone takes a lot of balls yeah, to do what she did to quote the boss. Can we also mention this is the first nude scene for uh, Carmel? Did you confirm that? I just assumed it was always a body double. It, it probably was. We need to confirm with Edie Falco. By the way, sidebar, um, I'm all caught up on Shark Tank thanks to this pandemic. Which mm. episodes did you work on when you were working on that show? The last half of this most recent season, 11. Okay, so the one with Maria Sharapova? Yeah, I was there on that episode. Um, I didn't get a lot of play and or chance to physically watch a lot of the pitches because obviously you're, you're doing a lot of different things. But um, Okay, I just thought of it. I started watching uh, Brain Games, uh, that Nat Geo show, the first one I was on, and that's been interesting to watch like from the other side. Your kids might like it. It's, it's pretty edu educational. Speaking of education, Wegler with the truism here says education should never stop. She follows his lead on education, John, to bring up AJ, her Achilles heel in this episode. He assures her everybody goes to college. Which one is the question, of course, right? Cut to the garage opening scene. We've seen this before too, right? Carm pulling in alone. You see the garage rattling up. She sneaks in the house. Another role reversal over here. You got a good sneaking in story, John? I got a good sneaking out story and sneaking back in. Uh, it was on the night of my confirmation. I snuck out of the house and broke the, uh, the window lining in the front of the house and cut up my arm and did the whole nine and then managed to get back in, uh, put a newspaper at the front of the, the window and come running into my parents' room. Like someone had thrown something at the, the window and I fell over a, a vacuum in the process and 
convoluted this crazy story and they, they believed it. In bed, she sees a picture of Tony staring back at her. He caught a big one with AJ once, and again, this is something we've seen before too in season one. The close-up of him prompts her to get a gun. Another throwback to season one. John, are you surprised that she hid the key in a not-so-hidden jar on the kitchen island at all? No. The the jar right behind you, actually, that I'm looking at? Oh. <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, not uncommon to least conspicuous places. Yeah, but I feel like it's right in plain, like, right there. I would, As a parent, I would try to be more secretive about it, but it just sort of struck me as odd. I'm only looking at that through parents' lenses, though. Otherwise, yeah, whatever. I think in this house, though, too, you've got uh, grenades and AK-47s and false columns in the house. So You think the kids know, right? Do the kids know? Absolutely. If uh, Tony's Both a responsible gun owner, uh, his kids probably know how to use them, too. You think Carm has ever fired a gun before? Oh, yeah. You think Tony taught her? Uh, yeah, I'm sure they, they did growing up uh, or prior to, I mean, was it episode one? Carmela's holding an AK-47. You don't, you know, come running out of your backyard to shoot someone with it unless you know what you're doing with it. I think Hugh might have taught her. Mm, that's possible too. Might have said, hey, Mel, come outside. I want to show you something. This is a Beretta. <laughs> that's right he does get the shotgun for his birthday anything significant about her putting the gun under Tony's pillow she's sleeping next to a loaded gun uh, I mean she infers to Wegler about how dangerous it is that they're together and like we said Wegler doesn't seem to consider it but I think she's uh, compensating because she's equally if not more scared of what Tony would do to her if she found out or if he found out that she was sleeping with someone. And Who's in more danger if Tony finds out? Wegler or Carmela? I think all parties involved but um, Carmela I think after the rush of the excitement of doing all that felt more of the fear of and paranoia of could had somebody you know follow her or you know, know that what she was doing. Uh, all, all things that are possible, uh, which, you know, self-preservation on her end was maybe I need a gun under my pillow now. I thought this was a nice metaphor, right? She's sleeping next to a loaded gun. In a way, she's sleeping with Tony. Tony's a loaded gun. Just a subtle thing, just putting it on the table. Yeah, danger and security all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Danger and security all at the same time. Beautifully said. Cut to Tony B taking his massage boards. He looks uncertain. Then the waiting room for results. Complains they take so long. John, the bar exam takes months to find out. This guy had to wait a few minutes. Funny distinction. MCATs too. Most exams take, you have to wait a long time to get the results. He passed, we learn. But no actual score, which is something that drives me fucking crazy. 
I always wondered why they do that. Can't the test taker who's paid the money and done the studying, can't they get their damn score? Like, what's the harm? Are you with me? I don't know. I, I feel like if uh, you barely passed the bar and that was like a known thing, then you're, it's like uh, Jobs asking about your GPA. Wouldn't you just prefer that you told them you, you got the degree? I see what you're saying. You're looking at it from a protection point of view. Like, yeah, like if if you passed it by one point and the person next to you passed it by like 19 points, they're going to be they're going to be the guy who gets the job over you. But I bet you if you took a poll, a lot of people would like to know how they did. I actually don't care anymore. Long gone. But, you know, as a parent, if my kid's taking an exam, I'd love to know what his result is. Especially if I'm putting in all the fucking work helping him study like Carmela. <laughs> Cut to Carmela in confession. She doesn't waste a second. Actually, it took her a month, but who's counting? Father Inton told his face when she tells him. The judgment. Again, he's a priest. He's breaking all the rules here. He's breaking his oath, John. He's judging. She's remorseful, but also says she feels like Maria in West Side Story. Walking on a cloud, she says. A little note on Maria from West Side Story, John. She falls for a guy named Tony. Mm. Father Intin Tola says he can't absolve her of a sin she's going to continue to commit. Is that true? I think so. If you keep committing a sin and you go to confession, aren't you going to be absolved of that sin? Even if it was the same one? I don't think it's that hard and fast. When was the last time you went to confession? <laughs> Too long ago. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think it's up for interpretation. I, a priest is an interesting position. Uh, the confession thing generally, when I was younger, was uh, I've been mean to my sister. and Or you were looking for a few things just to say that you did bad. And you were thrown out there with a, a few Hail Marys and an Our Father. Um, when it comes to adultery... Um, I think, again, it's it's Carmela using Catholicism to her advantage to think that, well, if she just uh, absolves herself from her sins, that it's a reset button to then go back and do it again. Um, and quick-wittedness by Father to point that out, that this isn't a place just to reset and be a good Catholic again. The goal is to stop doing these bad things. Part of it for me also goes back to this latent jealousy that I think he's harboring. If he can't have Carmela, he doesn't want someone else to be able to have her besides her husband. You know, it's subtle, but I feel like it's there. And the nice thing about the writing and the nice thing about the show and the nice thing about the acting is that it could be. It could also not be. But they've left it there for you to ponder, for us to ponder all these decades later during a global pandemic, no less. <laughs> he instructs her to do something nice for Tony. Pray for him, at the very least. Then Mike drops her by sliding closed the screen on her. Boss move, very beautiful piece of writing. Was that him walking past her a moment later? Oh, I'll have to go back and look. It's possible. Cut to the exterior of Tony B's new establishment. 
next to a dog groomer. Great Tony joke. Plus you got the dog groomer next door in case your Korean friend wants some lunch. You know how they really do eat dogs? I mean, not all of them, but I ask him. Oh, Jesus Christ. Serious question. Have you ever eaten dog? No, I've, I've eaten some strange things in China. I ate, uh, uh, what do you call that? Caterpillar cocoon. Like, uh, and some other strange fish. Had snail. No dog. Were you near Wuhan? I was. Not, not too far in the general scheme of things. I was a little bit more northeast from, from Wuhan. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Crazy to think a year ago around this time I was out there. Tony B's talking about his setup. Mentioned something called rolfing. A type of massage. Characterized by some, John. And Paulie would clearly fall into this category. As satanic black magic. Sick shit. They talk to each other in between electrical cables hanging from the ceiling and tied off. That's symbolic, man. Shit's about to blow up. Vibes of little nooses all around them. That's what I saw. That's what I thought. I know. How twisted and fucked am I, right? I don't know. But something makes you pause if you look at it carefully enough. I thought of Eugene Pontecorvo. That's all I'll say. Tony B goes on to talk about $30 hand cream while looking at a fountain with koi in it. Guy's got it all mapped out, man. That's my whole problem with this episode. He's got it all mapped out. You got a koi guy, John, by the way? I feel like everybody needs to have a koi guy. Are you my koi guy? Uh, funny enough, the guy that I wrote speeches for, the koi guy. <laughs> nice. By the way, koi are not cheap, by no. the way. I don't know if you knew this. Good ones go for like 3000 bucks. Today's prices. I feel like that'd be a good money laundering job, too. You could, uh, you know, mark up the price of a koi. It has to do with scarcity, right? I'm saying, like, washing money. Like, uh, you sold, you know, sell somebody a koi for 10 grand, but it was only five. And you, oh, gotcha. You gotcha. The other, yeah. You hide the difference. You mask mm -hmm. it. Look at you. Look at you. I'm trying to, trying to figure out other ways to make money around here. Apocalyptic hustle over here, man. <laughs> I got a question about one of your other businesses coming up. So I, I'm going to save it for, for then. Enter Kim's daughter, Amanda. Actor, by the way, who was also in the card counting movie, 21. Remember that? It's tough watching Kevin Spacey movies now, but yes. Yes. Well, I was going to say that Lawrence Fishburne was the casino muscle in that movie. What a great casting. Morpheus, cracking skulls. Chris walks in and makes Tony's joke about the dog groomer too. Only this time Amanda hears it and appears to take it in stride. Chris and Amanda check each other out. Think you could put in a word with the uh, number one daughter there? Or what? You know, get some of that Kung Pao coochie. You fucking guys, this is important to me. Kung Pao? is a label for Chinese food 
Not Korean food. But what are you going to do, John? Uh, racist malaprops. <laughs> she mentions ginseng, fake rhino, and nerve tea. All that herbal shit. First of all, are you a are you well versed in any one or all of those three? Mm, no. Me either. I was just wondering if any of that stuff is useful right now for immunity. I'll take anything to stay okay. <laughs> yeah. To avoid a positive test. Then we get the obligatory camera pan down as she walks out. Cut to row and calm. From unwholesome, we go to wholesome, right? Row and calm. She's much more relaxed about Karm being with Wegler than she was about Furio, right? This is a contrast that we've seen in her. Sneaking around is half the fun, Carmela says, which speaks to your point about why she smiled at herself in the mirror, right? Like, you have a secret, she says. And I wondered about the actual psychology of this. It's an interesting thought. Like, you know, what is better? Like, what is the what do we derive more joy from? The actual pleasure of something or the illicit pursuit of that pleasure? Which makes us chase it more? It's an interesting question to think about. AJ walks in as she starts to dish the scoop. And Carm and AJ exchange in a banter that makes Roe cry. Obviously, this has to do with Jackie Jr. Rest in peace. Um, I always, when I think of him, John, I always think about the fashion line that you, that me, that Justin, that Dan, that any guy that loves the show missed out on. Could have been some fucking fashion line. Like Hugo Boss. Cut to Tony B and his girlfriend. Forgot her name. Uh, I actually got her name. What was interesting about her is that she has been on Sesame Street for the last like 30 years. She has credits. Her name in the show is Gwen. Gwen, thank you. Not Gwen Stefani. Yeah, but the actress, Allison Bartlett, has been on Sesame Street since 1987 all the way to 2017. I mean, I thought maybe those credits uh, helped get her cast as this innocent, very naive girlfriend for Tony B. Interesting, because I saw it as exact opposite, but let's save it. But nice catch. Thank you. I didn't, I didn't even think to check on her because I was so enthralled with finding Gwen Stefani references of which I failed miserably. So I just gave up. <laughs> I gave up on Gwen. She's complaining about her day though. Okay. Which is, I think fair to say a lot of us are doing right now with our significant others. So God bless them for putting up with our shit. A car rips past and throws something out the window. That shit ever really happened though. It just doesn't seem believable to me. Whimsical right? More than anything else. Tony B sees it and it's a bag full of cash. She thinks it's a fetus, which reminds me of Tony's line to Ralphie. What sick fuck, John? Yeah. It's cash and drugs. He says he's going to buy her a ring. She says he's the sweetest, sweetest man. Okay? John, <laughs> he's going to use stolen money 
to buy her a ring. To clarify, that is too it's, it's rich. found money. He did not steal the money. <laughs> How thoughtful of him, though, man. Uh, there's a little bit of chatter online, and I'm a big believer in this theory, too, that this was big, uh, one big long play for Tony Soprano to get his cousin back into things uh, by having somebody drive by, toss 12 grand out, and then have him lose it all because he knows he's going to not spend it well, and then be forced to be back into the, the life that, that Tony probably needs him for. So I've heard that, and I'm with you, and I want you to argue in favor of it, but assume he never got the 12 grand. He would have still proceeded with Kim. Everything was on track. So why would that be the setup? Well, it's it's what I... This character kind of dissolves in a single episode, and that's my only big issue with this, because I felt like there should be more of an arc with, uh, with Tony B and Kim. But... Uh, for the sake of telling the story, they they did an all in one thing. But yeah, I, it's a stretch to think Tony would would you know long play or chess play this so well that he knew that it was going to make things fall apart. Um, yeah, I, I don't really have an extra argument to that. Question: Does he owe Tony a taste? Uh, in normal rules he should but he's not one of the crew guys so um another maybe point to why tony never even asks for a taste because this was tony's taste to him if you were tony b would you have given tony a taste if i was tony b i wouldn't have told anyone about it that would that was the first mistake um and probably held on to it in case things didn't work out. or In case there's a pandemic and you need some cash flow for your business? <laughs> probably. Because uh, we all know uh, rubbing tugs aren't essential businesses to stay open right now. I guarantee you after this thing is over, every motherfucker is going to be saying, I need nine months cash in case there's another pandemic. And it's something that we've never said in our entire lifetimes. You always talk about having some business runway you got to have some cash in the bank to like ride out a bad week or a bad month, but no one has ever calculated or factored completely shutting down your business a hundred percent. It's wild. It's truly wild. Um, you hear a lot of stories about an elderly pass away and their family goes through their house and finds uh, little twenties in between books, pages and in bread boxes and things um, as indicative of people that lived through the depression, but saved a bunch of their money in weird places. And it'll be interesting to see how everybody uh, changes their mindset about living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. It's not sustainable, man. Cut to Corm reading Lord of the Flies cliff notes, which John, I believe that's about as far as I got to with that book. I don't remember being taken by this book the way history remembers it, at least. Um, I figure I'll give it another look when my boy gets it assigned to him down the road, though. That's my excuse, and I'm sticking to it. I'm with you. Lord of the Flies is a book from the 50s by William Golding. 
about a group of boys on a deserted island who form a government of sorts. That description, you would think, John, given how much we know about each other, would have us all in after deserted island, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Is one of those characters Tom Hanks, perhaps? Count me in. But... It that just description never for it the for book me. is like a description for every Sopranos episode, too. There's a little bit of detail that's left out. Ah, interesting. Carmela's Piggy reference. Piggy is one of the central characters in the book. But her saying intellectual over the physical feels like an overt comparison between Wegler and Tony. While she's reading this, AJ's passed out. Once again, another subtle writing note, oblivious to his mother's activities. First with Furio, now with Wegler. Over at the club, Paulie's breaking Tony B's balls about the 12K he found. How many guys you gotta jerk off to make that? Love it. Tony B gives it right back, by the way. Fair to say, John... That Tony B is the best return server, if you will, to use a tennis analogy, of any ball breaking. He can give it back better than anybody. Yeah, he, he definitely has a razor tongue. Uh, I mean, witty as all hell. It, what other? It, it's interesting to me that he is able to get away with it. Um, it it's like maybe on the level of like Artie that Tony B is a little bit untouchable. The way he speaks to some of these guys, uh, even Tony, um, makes me uncomfortable. Come back to that point. Hold on to it. Him being a little bit invincible, I think it plays into my problem at the very end of this episode. Cut to Carmen Wegler at another restaurant. Intimate conversation, laughs, sharing a dessert When I watched this in uh, preparation to sit down with you again, I was reminded back to the video of your proposal dinner, and I kind of felt the vibe of that restaurant in this scene. Cut to her peeling a cucumber in the kitchen. There's nothing phallic about that at all, John. Not at all. Tony shows up behind her, frightens her. Also something we've seen before in white caps. She's on planet infatuation, right? Tony hands her an A-plus paper from some girl, or in this case, John in this case, perhaps, that AJ left behind at his place. Tony inquires, I love this, this is such a fucking detail. So much of a detail that I just spat across my whole screen. I have to wipe it off. Um... Tony inquires about Carmela's leftover duck. John, Tony's wife consumed duck. What's the meaning? What's the message behind that? Uh, It's too fucked up even for me to think about. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, I didn't, I can't believe I didn't catch that reference too. You didn't catch it. Okay, good. So then you can follow along with me here. All right. Wegler calls. He's reading Cold Mountain. Again, the fucking mountains. 
She plays it cool. Like she's done this a thousand times, actually. The way she handles him on the phone, it's as if she's done this before. It's not her first rodeo. Contrast that to when she said to Wegler, I've never done this before. It's interesting. It's just an interesting little thing. She can play like she has, but she's never done it. Makes you kind of wonder sometimes. Anyway, meanwhile, Tony's crushing that leftover duck. How far, John, we've come from the pilot to now. From cultivating a duck family to consuming one. I don't know what they're saying. It could very likely be coincidental. But all I'm at, all I'm saying to you and all I'm saying out there to the world is that Tony mentions Carmela's duck. Okay? He makes a point to say the word duck, which obviously trigger should trigger something in your brain. Then he's not taken aback by the fact that she ate a duck, and instead he consumes it himself. There is something to be said for all of that. I don't have the slightest idea what, but I just want to make it known. And if you have a thought, and if listeners have a thought, send it to me. There is something extremely primal and familial and even sexual about this, okay? If this got a chance to be in Melfi's office, all I'm saying is that Melfi would have had a fucking field day, John. We'll never know. She, her surmise of all this originally was Tony was upset about it because it was uh, losing his children or a change in his life. Like the ducks were symbolic of his kids, right? Partially, yeah. So you know, at this point, with, with the challenge like of with AJ, it's like they're both co-parenting and eating. The, I don't know. That's weird. No, maybe to keep them to keep them from getting too far, you have to consume, consume them. Consume them. Yeah, oh, they are kind of consumed in this life. And they're consumed. Let's see, we're working through this. We're working through this it, man. Is, this, this is, is this healthy. is this is what it's all about. Yeah. Anyway, Wegler wants dinner and a little night swimming. Night swimming deserves a quiet night. Tony gives her a hard time about Wegler's sexuality, like AJ did before, like father, like son. Then he strips down, goes for a swim, and she watches him cannonball in. How bad does that scene make you want to emulate him every time? Every time. Uh, last place I lived at uh, when I was a bachelor was in Hermosa Beach, and we had a, one of the few places that had a pool. We called them pool jumps. After every night, we'd come home and jump straight into the pool just for the sake of jumping in. It's uh, When you've got one, you want to jump in it all the time. Cut to a card game. Not going well. Another racial reference. Pocahontas is scalping us. Again, she took that in stride, too. I guess she knows her audience, and I guess Angela knows her audience, too. They, they both took that one on the chin without really kind of letting you know that it affected them, which is kind of uh, self-aware. Right? Tony B is suited up, stretching that 12K all over the place. Shoes too. You ever owned a pair of shoes 
remotely close to looking like Tony B's? I will when I get that stimulus check. <laughs> <laughs> Observation. It's a little early, but I can't help. You're going to love this, actually, because I saw your meme after I wrote this. I wrote this this morning and or mm. whenever the whenever the house signed the bill. You're going to love you're going to appreciate this because great minds think alike. It's a little early, but I can't help but think Tony B burned through his cash at about the same rate as most people are going to burn through their stimulus checks. <laughs> you <laughs> great minds. Well, the greatest part too is uh, it, it's instead of the 12k, it's 1200. So it's like the numbers are similar too. It's, the numbers are similar too. Yeah. Yeah. It's also kind of the same rate at which he's burning through his patience for Kim. Also, fast cuts this episode. A Bogdanovich move, maybe. I don't know. Carmen Wegler are in bed. She can't. And John Wegler's blue balls are going to come back to haunt her. Okay? She better watch her step. All right? She mentions the church. His reaction is classic. He scoffs at the church like most people do. It's, he actually, David Strathairn sold that. And it was, and I bet you it was a one-take facial kind of uh, gesticulation. I love it. It's one of, one of the best parts of his character for me. And to, to scoff at and, and use the Lord's name in vain at the same time. Right, right. Exactly. To scoff yeah. and then to say, Jesus, Carmela. <laughs> so many biblical references this episode, John. The episode of Carmela's sin, no less. By the way, did she sin? Did she commit a sin? Uh, in the eyes of the church, Vic, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Cut to Tony B getting dropped off at work to punch in. Rather than fuck around with the guys, John, this guy's going to punch in and put in a day's work. Says a lot about him for the moment. Still climbing that mountain, right, to the valley of staying straight on the other side. There's still hope for this guy. Cut to AJ's English teacher getting approached ominously by Wegler. Great camera choice. English teacher thinks he should be a ditch digger. The world needs him, he says. Especially, John, for your mortuary that you plan to open one day. Right? Would you agree with Fisk? Desperate times, call for desperate measures. By the way, this is morbid as fuck, but there's never been a better time to own a mortuary than right now. If you're in America. Actually, yeah, I read about that recently too, that they're having to do virtual funerals. You imagine a, a Zoom eulogies? By the way, don't buy Zoom stock. Okay. As soon as this is over, Zoom stock is going to tank. And look at us. They can't even get our blue screen right. Look, my blue screen's not even working right. Uh, for your new show, uh, was it Notepad Ideas? I'm, oh, I just plain text that. ideas. Yeah. Mine right now is, uh, is like an online speed dating platform. Well, you're going to be a guest. Come on. Yeah, let's talk about we it. You should do it. Done. Especially with Zoom. You don't know when this shit's going to cut out, man. Yeah. We got to get in while we can. Yeah. Okay. Cut to Tony B clocking out, but heading over to the massage shop. 
Dedication. That's a good dedication. Way to go. Tony B starts demoing the walls. Let's his kid join in on the fun, which is a nice touch watching this back as a dad. Uh, it's exactly what you would do as a dad. You would give him the sledgehammer and you would let him go to town. Back over to Aiden Wegler. She makes up for the other night, but she can't stop talking about AJ. Do this, do that. And immediately, we know Wegler's done. Thoughts, John, on his gymnastics landing when he dumped her. Did he nail the landing or did he botch it? I give it a fucking 10. Oh! Yeah. I, I think he uh, he probably got more out of it than Carmela did and left her shook. So he's a gold medalist when it comes to breaking up. Yeah, it was pretty classy. By the way, we're getting towards the end of this. I just want to like, stop and admire my backdrop. How you liking my bridge, man? Don't jump, Vic. Don't jump. <laughs> I tried to get one. I tried to find a graphic of Vin McKazian. And, like, so it would be, you would see my head, and then you would have Vin McKazian standing next to me. But I just thought, you know, like, out of respect for the dead, I would just keep it landscape. But this is the episode where he takes his life. What episode is your shot from? Uh, this is actually from a listing of the North Caldwell house ah. uh, trying to sell. Like if you compare it to um, other shots, like the cabinetry is different. Finishing up on the breakup, John, she says, how could asking someone for help be using them? That's what you do. She says it's so matter of factly. Uh, it's an interesting worldview to say the least. It's fair to say that a lot of people would say that relationships are all about giving, right? And not taking, being of service to somebody. But Carmela immediately says that because we're in a relationship, you ask for things. It's what you do. Um, that was a beautiful window to her world. As much as we love her, it gives you a beautiful window into how she thinks on a 24-7 basis. You better watch your step. John, was that an empty threat or something else? It's a weird flex from Carmela, and she uses it when as a defense mechanism. Uh, like you mentioned, she considers what she's doing is just asking for help, much like when she was asking for her letter of recommendation for Meadow to get into college. Uh, as soon as that's not given, then she uses her own form of intimidation. Uh, I don't know. I, I think a defense mechanism for her from getting dumped was to make him think that he had something coming for it. Cut to another card game. This time, Mitchell Burgess is playing. Iowa Burgess. Likely a reference to his Iowa days. Now, Iowa Burgess is, John, a fucking Western that needs to happen. Tony B, we learn has 400 left out of his 12K. John, again, that's how much will be left after this stimulus package is spent. Cut to the sequence of the underslept Tony B working the laundry job in his custom shoes, struggling, moody, irritable, then working at the massage spot later. 
He's painting. Mr. Miyagi style over here. And we thought Daniel-san did a bad job. So good. His girlfriend calls. Not Gwen Stefani. The Salamanca fabric massage chairs, we learn, were delivered to the house instead of the studio. I've always thought that's actually a kind of a hard thing to fuck up, but we'll just leave it at that. We'll assume that his shipping and billing addresses got switched, okay? He's not used to the details, the fucking details. Not used to the details. Well, he's an entrepreneur, right? He's got to be on top of this shit. Mm. Like the cash tossed from the car, this too was kind of out of nowhere, John. She turns on him on a dime. From the most amazing guy, right, at the beginning, with the ring, the stolen money ring, to sick and tired of fucking whining and complaining. The bipolarity. John, she's like Draymond Green when he plays against LeBron James. She regrets him getting out of prison. That's a wildly profound statement, man. I just don't get it. Then she says, I'm sick and I'm evil. Fucking Twilight Zone over here. And now even more so because you said that she got on the strength of this, this landed her on Sesame Street. <laughs> I'm, how do you go from I'm sick and evil to Sesame Street? Explain that path for me. Well, no, she was on Sesame Street since 1987. She plays the same reoccurring person. It's really strange. But... I think anybody with these pen pal jailhouse loves have to have a certain personality to them that they're looking for the best in someone. And maybe there's some truth into her, you know, aspiring to have him back in jail because their relationship was probably a lot more sincere and um, through letters and calm and collected and uh, a softer side of Tony. And now he's out in the real world having a tough time and, and she's not getting the same experience. Beautifully said. And it doesn't help that he hasn't gotten her a ring yet. He's blown almost all of the 12K, and he's not coming home every night because he's drinking. Yeah, uh, playing cards. That could get you in trouble real quick. Kim walks in. He's friendly, but immediately senses Tony B's off. He's a boss after all, John. It's just natural to him, right? The famous West Caldwell Exchange... Flips him the fuck out. Roll tape, because it never gets old. Huck, you good a plumber. Right over here. Where's the call well? Where's call well? Where's call well? West Caldwell. So, Hannah, we open in three days, huh? John. And many people have complained about this. This is an old, this is a common sort of what the fuck Sopranos moment. Why'd he punch him? I mean, I know why, but why do you think he blew this? It was all there for him, set up. He passed the boards. Tony was cool with it. Everything was rolling. He was set up to become a model for all future ex-cons. A book deal was no doubt in the offing here. So why'd he do it? I don't know, man. It, it's tough to say. Uh, I think he's, I think subconsciously he probably has an issue that even while escaping 
that life and living an honest life, he's doing it by the hands of someone who's not living by the law. Like, uh, and maybe it, it didn't, he was self-destructive in that capacity because as an honest of a business as it was, I mean, it, it wasn't going to be, it was going to be another whorehouse for his massage parlor to be the cover for. I don't know. It's, it's an ex-con. He's, Hasn't, hasn't lived in the real world for a long time. I think there's a whole other set of rules when you're in prison that long and somebody disrespects you or pops off, it's usually settled by some sort of physical altercation. So he may be uh, out of prison, but he's still in prison mentally. Kim or Mr. Miyagi? Who you got? Oh, Mr. Miyagi for sure all day. Kim's got some game though, man. Taekwondo Joe <laughs> over here. Uh, that's the that old man strength too. I don't want to mess with these guys. The way he blocks the two by four, that was some gangster shit, man. I love yeah. that. <laughs> uh, saved by the back. John, if Tony hadn't thrown out his back, would he have killed Kim? Mm-hmm. No, I don't think so. Uh, that's a good question, Nick. What do you think? I'm going to say Tony B's smart enough. He just passed the fucking boards, okay? He's no longer a pre-board certified massage therapist. He's now a board certified massage therapist. And he knows from Kim that Tony and him are in cahoots, right? Over the unions. So he can't kill Kim because of a pre-existing relationship with Tony. And I think that's maybe how you write it away and how you make it end the way it does. But it's a question that I've always wondered. I mean, he took a, he he didn't just punch him, right? He knocks him into the pool, into the fountain, and then he goes for the two-by-four. And he wasn't going for the two-by-four to shine his shoes. He was going for no. the two-by-four to inflict massive damage. Yeah. And you think of it all like the gratuitous violence in the show. A lot of it's pretty crazy, some of the objects that they'd be using. I mean, it's all a deadly weapon when you put something in your hand, whatever it is. Yeah, and and we know we're not going to spoil it, but we know his proclivity for violence. It's coming very soon. Yeah. Conversations about it at a minimum. So anyway, put that out there. Um, The fish, the shot of the fish. John, henceforth, the ultimate fish out of water meme for the ages i just want to make sure that fish was okay cut to hugh oh i love this love this scene cut to hugh fixing carm's door because as he says she doesn't have a man around the house anymore hugh says she should move on if that's what she really wants. Love, Hugh. You know, I think he is in my top five characters in the show. I just, there's something magnetic about him. Every time he's on screen, I love it. I love that he has a a whole unique uh, nickname for her. Yes. Uh, Calling her Mel. Yeah. It's a little detail, man. We've talked about it. it. Makes us more connected to her as a character and more connected to him as a character that they have something between the two of them and they share it with us. 
Mm-hmm. You know? Beautiful. She tells him about Wegler. And she calls him a wolf in sheep's clothing. Another biblical reference. And it's funny that you said, I don't have any Bible quotes for you. John, I have a Bible quote for you, my friend. And she is referring to Matthew 7, 15. What's this fucking Bible school now? (laughs) You're a good Catholic, Rick. I'm a good Catholic, former Catholic school student is what I will say. Inherently suspicious of every single religion as a result of it, but I, am a, I was a good Catholic school student. Then, John, Hugh gives this incredible look that he almost regrets walking her down the aisle to Tony. You ever wonder why he didn't put up a fight to prevent that courtship? Like, did he really think it would end well? I don't think anybody knows on that sort of thing. Uh, I think he would just wanted to make sure his daughter was happy, and she probably was at the time. But didn't there's some reference a little while back that uh, Tony was responsible for saving Hugh's business, wasn't he? She makes a mention of it when her mother is complaining to her about how you know, um, she gets a free pass or whatever. And then Carmela says, I earned it. You guys just get a free pass. I think it was made. I think what you're talking about was there. It had to do with the permit. Yeah. Basically moving something along, smoothing things over for Hugh, for sure. So you're saying you think he was stuck a little bit. Yeah, maybe. Interesting. So Tony had Hugh by the balls. Yeah. Huh. The scene ends with him leaving. He just walks out and leaves her there, ashamed almost. Clearly sorry, but from a generation that can't really say the word sorry, this was the closest thing that he could come up with. And it's really powerful. Could almost have been the final scene of this episode. And I kind of thought it should have been. But instead, we... Got to end on Tony, right? Cut to Tony, interestingly, eating alone at Vesuvio's. And I didn't go back and look at this, but I think it's safe to say that we haven't seen him dining there alone very often. No. Uh, But this theme of loneliness, um, was it the episode before this? Or was it this episode that he calls uh, Tony B late at night? Well, he's like a couple episodes back. Like, yeah, three o'clock in the morning, and he's yeah, like just trying to talk to somebody. Like, so I, well, Tony loves his new lifestyle. He's you know the the freedom. He's also single. Tony brings the loneliness. Yeah. I mean, I know we're not running a popularity contest here, but zero. Dinner companions? Uh, I'm the kind of guy who doesn't mind going to a movie by himself. So I me too. To hey, I'm, I'm to, with uh, you. I'm with you. But but me and you are not the boss of a fucking family. That's all I'm saying. True. <laughs> boss of something. 
boss is something. Yeah, I'm the boss. I'm getting my ass handed to me when I'm done with this because I'm over by seven minutes, but it's okay. We're okay. We're having fun. We're, and we're coming to the end here. I promised Katie four o'clock. I promise. And I'm seven minutes yeah, over. I got Elizabeth quarantined in the bedroom and not okay. happy. With well, they're both troopers. Give her a big, give her a big hug for me. I wish her well. And I wish her family and your family well too during this crisis because it's crazy and it's affecting a lot of people a lot of different ways so i'm thinking about you guys yeah so right back at you i'm just thankful we have a, a platform and a relationship like this so where we can uh try to make a, a little out of some some other people's lives during this time yeah too. absolutely okay so tony b comes over finishing things up here tony b comes over of course he wants in. Fucking revelation over here. He's kind of bracing, though. He knows there's going to be a cost for his delay. For his playing hard to get, so to speak. Stole that from Shawshank Redemption. Orders of vodka rocks in a cushion. Which I think is something a lot of us would order right now for the landing that we're about to embark upon in a few weeks, months, days here. But John, he hands the attendant cash. Did you ever find that odd? Like, why are you paying before the meal's over kind of a thing? It was strange. was strange, right? Nervous. Nervous is what it is. But Tony, our Tony seems happy equal part genuine equal part sinister thank you john thank you Vic. obviously it's a little irregular around the margins to use the episode title but i think we got through it uh you were an amazing partner as always thank you Thank you for making me laugh on your page. It's been um, a a beacon of light during this time. Um, And again, like I said a few minutes ago, man, I wish you the best. uh, And I can't wait to see you when we get on the other side of this thing. You too, brother. Keep in touch. Stay safe. All right. Take care, pal.